We're in James chapter three. We're gonna begin at verse 13 this morning. Last week, we looked at James 3, verses 1 through 12, and James talked to us about our tongue. Remember? The tongue, the power of the tongue. The tongue has the power to do good. The tongue has the power to do evil. The tongue, James says, can be very small, like a bridle in a horse or a rudder on a ship and cause great things to happen. Uh, can be like a fire to destroy an entire forest. And so our words are very powerful. But we saw from James, as James alluded to it, and then we looked at what Jesus said about the tongue. And here's the thing. Jesus said that our speech reveals what's in our heart. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, Jesus said, but what comes out of a man. So our heart is really where our thoughts come from. We express ourselves through our words that come from our heart. So here's the question. How can we really know what's in our heart? How can we know what's in our heart? Well, James tells us at the end of chapter three, this uh, verses 11 and 12, at the end of the section last week, let me just read that. He said that fountains don't send out fresh and bitter water. He said fig trees don't produce olives and olive vines don't produce figs. Salt water cannot produce fresh water. So James makes his point as he speaks about the tongue. He says, your heart is revealed in what your life produces. Your heart is revealed in what your, you can't do both. You can't have good and bad. Your heart is revealed by what your life produces and what you say and how you live. Now James carries this thought into verse 13. So let me just read verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Father, I pray that you would unite our heart in single purpose to obey the truth revealed in your word. I pray this morning, Father, that you would satisfy us, our deepest longing, with the goodness of your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would give us the grace to respond to your word today in a way that would be pleasing to you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. It's interesting, James began talking about wisdom in the first chapter, chapter one, verse five. He said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And he gives to all men generously and without reproach. But James never gives us a definition of wisdom. Now, I kind of like that as a teacher, preacher. I, I like to see, you know, this is what we're talking about. But he never tells us, he tells us how important it is, but he never tells us exactly what wisdom is. He tells us there's an earthly wisdom and a heavenly wisdom. But what we're gonna do is kind of put some pieces together because on Wednesday nights, we've been studying Proverbs. 
the part of the scripture which is called wisdom literature. And we encourage you to come. We have a meal at five and we eat there and then we share from God's word and have a time of prayer at five o'clock on Wednesday, except we're not meeting this Wednesday night, okay? But come next Wednesday night. But we're talking about wisdom. And Proverbs says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs also says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. You know these verses. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. So James doesn't tell us what wisdom is, but we know that as good Jewish students of the word of the scriptures, they knew that wisdom begins with a knowledge of God. And that if we acknowledge God, he will direct us in all our paths and lead us into a life of wisdom. Tim Keller as a summary of the book of Proverbs, which again is good for us to know because as James talks about wisdom, he's talking about not only how we relate to God, but how we relate to one another. And that's what the book of Proverbs does. Tim Keller says there are five main things we learn from the book of Proverbs. One is the knowledge of God, how important it is to know God. Secondly, is to obey his commandments to keep his word, just like James says, don't be a doer, to be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, to be humble toward others, to be sacrificially generous. That's what the book of Proverbs teaches us, to be generous people, and then to be steadfast in trials. Proverbs says that as a father disciplines his son, so God disciplines his children. What does James tell us? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result. He's telling us there's a purpose for the difficult things that we go through in life. So again, this morning, we're talking about wisdom, a lifestyle, a way of living, a wisdom that is available. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. A wisdom that's available to every person in this room a wisdom that is very practical. It's how we live. A wisdom that whoever possesses it will show evidence in their actions and their attitudes. So James is addressing this because it's interesting. He saw problems in the church. He saw three major things that he addresses in his book. And look over in chapter one, verse 26. This is, we're gonna deal with the third of the three issues that James says we need if we're going to have true religion. Verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his what? His tongue. We talked about that last week. James said there's a problem in the church. There's a problem in the church. We need to talk about the tongue. So, but if you do not bridle your tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. What did we talk about from James chapter two, verse 14 and following? Faith without works is what? Dead. You know, and the works that we're talking about, not works of the law, but works of compassion, works of mercy. If a brother or sister is hungry and you say, go, be filled, be warmed, and you don't give them anything, what use is that, James says? Faith without works is dead. So James has addressed the tongue. He's addressed the acts of mercy. Now he says the third part of being a, a pure religion or relationship with God is to keep oneself unstained 
unspotted by the world. So James saw three issues in the church. The tongue, thankfully we don't have a problem with that at Alberta, right? He saw a lack of compassion and he saw worldly attitudes, worldly attitudes in the church. And so this is where we are today in chapter three, verse 13 and following. Next week in chapter four, James says, whoever, you know, if you're a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. You can't do both. And so he's talking about worldly attitudes in the church. So there we are, okay? To keep oneself unstained by the world. In the chapter, in the passage we just read, he basically tells us three things. First of all, that wisdom is shown by our behavior. What's in your heart, what's in your mind, your philosophy of life is evidenced by the way you live. Okay, that's pretty simple. Secondly, he said earthly wisdom in verse 15 and 16 causes us to live selfishly and arrogantly, which results in disorder and evil. You don't want to go there, but many people do. And then thirdly, in verse 17, 18, James says this, a true Christian demonstrates wisdom from above by living a life that seeks to honor God and serve others, which results in peace and righteousness. So what we're going to do to begin is to contrast earthly wisdom with wisdom from above or divine wisdom, okay? And the way we live our lifestyle evidences which one we possess. It's pretty simple. It's not rocket science this morning, okay? If we have earthly wisdom, we're going to live like this. If we have heavenly wisdom, we'll live like this. Okay, so that's where we're going. What is earthly wisdom? Well, James gives us this great definition. He says, earthly wisdom is not that which comes down from above. <laughs> uh, I mean, he doesn't tell us what earthly wisdom, he describes it. Look at verse 17. He said, this is what it looks like. Excuse me, no, verse 15. Wisdom that, that come, does not come down from above is earthly and natural and demonic. He doesn't tell us what it is. He doesn't tell us what heavenly wisdom is. He describes it for us in verse 17. It's pure, peaceable, gentle. But when, you, when we talk about earthly wisdom, what are we talking about? We're talking about a philosophy of life. A philosophy of life that very simply says, I will live my life independently of God. I will live my life independently of God. We rely on our own resources rather than looking to God. Church, that's very simply what earthly wisdom is, is that there's no place in my life, my philosophy, my thinking for God. I'm going to live a life independent of God. I was traveling several years ago now, and I heard Ravi Zacharias on the radio, and he made a statement, you know, as KJ loves to say, it's not books that change our life, it's sentences, sentences that change our life. And Ravi Zacharias said that man has replaced revelation with reason. Man has replaced revelation with reason. And the more I think about that, that's where we are in many ways, is that we, we can't wrap our mind around it, then we don't want it in our life. What I think, how I think, and again, when we're talking about earthly wisdom here, we're not talking about intellect or knowledge. I'm thankful for scientists. I'm thankful for people. I'm like the guy who said, I don't know nothing, but my cousin does. I'm thankful for smart people that I can Google and look up and, and have answers and all that stuff. But we're not talking about intellectual prowess here. We're talking about a lifestyle. And earthly wisdom simply says, I'm going to live my life without God. Earthly wisdom says we put ourselves on the throne 
and live for our own pleasure. It's a wisdom that says we are self-sufficient, so therefore we become self-centered. Let me say that again. It's a wisdom that says we don't need God. We are self-sufficient, so we therefore become self-centered. Where does wisdom, where does earthly wisdom come from? James tells us that it is earthly, natural, demonic. Earthly, natural, demonic. It's a worldly system of this world. The apostle John tells us about it in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. John says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here's where we begin to see what this worldly wisdom looks like. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So where does this philosophy come from? It comes from the world. A worldly system that says we don't need God. We don't want God. We want to be self-sufficient. So James says this wisdom is earthly, natural, and demonic. And we won't look at all three of them, but just think about this word natural with me for just a moment. A natural wisdom. It's something that's confined to our nature. The Bible says a lot about the natural man. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them. Why? Because he's a natural man. He's not born of the Spirit, because they are spiritually appraised. What do we know about the natural man, this natural wisdom, this desire to live life independently of God? Well, the natural man has a limited nature because his spirit is dead. That's why Jesus said, he hears my words and believes in him has sent me, shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Amen. That we were, Paul says, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins, but in Christ, we've been made alive. So the natural man is dead spiritually. He cannot appraise and understand uh, the things of God. He cannot respond to the things of God. The secondly, the natural man does not welcome the things of God because his nature is inclined towards sin. The other day at Teresa's birthday party, all the grandkids were saying what they liked about Mama T, or they just call her T. And one of our grandchildren said this, she makes us do what we want to do. <laughs> I think he meant to, or one of them that meant to say, she lets us do what we want to do. But as I thought about that, that's what sin does for us. Sin makes us do what we want to do, what, our natural, what we're naturally inclined toward. We're slaves, Paul says, of the one either of obedience resulting in life or of sin resulting in death. Sin is our master. So the natural man is enslaved by sin. He's controlled by sin. He cannot discern the things of God. He's like a blind man in an art gallery. So again, this earthly wisdom only makes sense. We don't want God to tell us what to do. We don't want God in control of our life. So that's why the Bible says we must be born again. If you're here today and you've never been born again spiritually, you're a natural man, you're a natural woman. We love you, but we want you to know Jesus. We want you to be born of the Spirit, to come to know the life-changing experience of knowing Christ and changing your life. So we must be born again. What does earthly wisdom look like? Verse 14, again, bitter jealousy 
and selfish ambition. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, it leads to arrogance and deception. And deception. But I'll just concentrate just a moment on bitter jealousy. I like that. I don't like it, but it's interesting, that term bitter. Bitter. Have you ever taste something bitter? Bitter jealousy? That's a bitter pill to swallow. Bitter jealousy, what does that look like? You know, jealousy is hard to quantify, isn't it? You can't measure a person's jealousy. But let me just ask you, do you ever have a pang in your heart when something good happens to someone that you're not particularly fond of? Maybe there's a little jealousy there and, and their kids do well and you don't want to celebrate. Or let me tell you, even worse, do you have kind of a little smile come to your face whenever something happens to this family that's not all positive? I'm not, not talking about a death or anything, but you just something negative happens to them and you kind of smile on the inside. To me, that's that kind of that bitter pang or that, that jealousy that can creep into our hearts. Selfish ambition. We're all about ourselves, our family. And many times it happens with parents and children, doesn't it? Teenagers especially. There's a sense of jealousy there. That bitter jealousy is when we have that pang in our heart when something good happens to somebody we don't like. It's very deceptive, very deceptive, but it's very, very real. That's the worldly system. That's the fruit of selfish ambition because that's the way the world operates. The world tells us to look out for ourselves. Selfish ambition means that we're gonna be successful at any cost, regardless of the cost. There's nothing wrong with ambition, but it has to be tempered by integrity. And for the believer, for the glory of God, we want to do things, but we want to do it for God's glory, not for our own good, well, our good name or well-being. What are the results of earthly wisdom? James says, look at verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder in every evil thing. Chaos, chaos. Or disorder, every evil thing. It's like Judges 21, the last verse says, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Can you imagine? That's disorder in every evil thing. Isaiah 5, 20 says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. I used to listen to Paul Harvey years ago. And I remember I had this quote in my notes from years ago. He said, although we have starving people this is the kind of confusion that results from man's wisdom. He says, although we have starving people, our government is paying farmers not to grow food. Our Supreme Court has outlawed snake handling because in 10 years, seven people died from handling snakes, while every year 60,000 people die of alcohol-related deaths. Can you explain to me why in Maryland, a 17-year-old girl has to get her parents' permission to get her ears pierced when that same girl can have an abortion? You know, it just doesn't make sense. Confusion in every evil way. I'm not advocating snake handling. I don't like snakes. There's one in our neighborhood somewhere around here that you can handle anytime you want to. And if you grab him, put him away. But I'm just telling you, man's wisdom can be very illogical. Do you agree? I mean, you look at it, it can be very illogical. Disorder, confusion, evil. Next week, we'll look at chapter four, verse one. What are the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not your pleasures that wage war in your members? I mean, there's, there's, there's this conflict that results when everybody wants to have their own way. This can happen to us corporately as a people, as a society. 
but it begins with us individually in our own life. When we seek earthly wisdom or we're living earthly wisdom instead of seeking God's wisdom for our life. Let's talk quickly about divine wisdom. What is it? Verse 17, but the wisdom from above, the wisdom from above. And again, James doesn't tell us this is what wisdom is, but these are, this is the fruit of the wisdom. But wisdom, what are we talking about? It's knowing God. The beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Wisdom that we're talking about is knowing God, acknowledging Him in all our ways. Wisdom is living in awe of God and seeking to serve others. I was doing a study this week with some of our men and we were talking about the greatness of God, the greatness of God in creation. And then the psalmist says, but what is man that you would consider him? When we talk about the awe of God, we need to talk about the greatness of God in creation, but we need to talk, to me, the most awesome thing about God is that he loves me. He loves you. That I can have a relationship with God. That's awesome. That's awesome. So wisdom is when we live in the awe of God. Where does this wisdom come from? James says it's from above. It's from above. That means it has to be revealed to us by God. We can read it in the Bible, which has been revealed to us, but it's not something we make up. We can never dream up a God as great as the God that's revealed to us in the scriptures. It's from above. It has to come from above. It's been revealed to us by him. It's interesting that there was a time in our nation, in the early days of our nation, where everybody, not everybody maybe, but most people recognized that what we need most is wisdom from above. Did you know that Harvard, Yale, and Princeton were all established as institutions to teach young people the wisdom of God? Did you know that? John Harvard said this. He gave the endowment to establish Harvard University. He wrote, let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies, to know God, to experience eternal life, and to therefore lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all knowledge and learning and to see that only the Lord gives wisdom. That's from Harvard University. The Lord gives wisdom, this wisdom from above. You know, we have a choice. We can seek earthly wisdom. We can seek God's wisdom. We can live by earthly philosophy or we can live by the wisdom of God. What does divine wisdom look like? Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Pastor Colby read to us a while ago, the fruit of the Spirit. Sounds very similar, doesn't it? That's what the manifestation or the working out of God's wisdom in our life will impact us to the point that this is, this is who we are. Pure, peaceable. That's how God's wisdom is manifested in us. That's what it looks like when we're walking and living according to the wisdom of God. Our life will be different. Again, notice how many, how many of these relate to the way we deal with other people and relate to other people. Again, Tim Keller says that wisdom is the knowledge of God, a commitment to obey his word, humility toward others, desire to be sacrificially generous and to be steadfast in trials. That's what wisdom looks like in us. That's the way it's revealed. What are the results of divine wisdom? 
Verse 18, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. David Jeremiah says this, the Christian life is a life of sowing and reaping. The Christian who obeys God's wisdom sows righteousness, not sin. He sows peace, not division. The life we live enables the Lord to bring righteousness and peace into, through us into the lives of others. So the question is, which wisdom do you possess? In our daily Bible reading this weekend, I was in Luke chapter seven, verse 35, said, yet wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Think about that. What are the children of wisdom? Everything we've talked about, purity, righteousness, peace. Those are the children of wisdom. Wisdom is vindicated by all her children. Jesus said, each tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For the mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. As we said last week, only Jesus can change our heart. Jesus, again, as I close, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred and the torrent burst against that house, and it could not shake it because it had been well built. Church, let me tell you how we can know which wisdom we possess. Is it an earthly wisdom? Is it a divine wisdom? There's really only one way to know. It's when the storms come. When the storms come. You know, there are people here who are coming out of a storm. There are people here today who are in a storm or going into a storm. <laughs> storms are just a part of life. And when the storms come, our wisdom, our hearts will be revealed. If it's an earthly wisdom or if it's a divine wisdom. Today, you can begin to build upon that foundation, the word of God in your life. Taking God at his word, trusting in him that he loves you, he has a plan of salvation for you, that you can be saved through Jesus Christ, not by your works of righteousness, but by what Christ has done. Placing your faith and trust in one who died for you so that you can live for him. And when the storms come, we'll be like that little seagull sitting in the cleft of the rock. The, ro the waves are raging, the wind's blowing, but we're safely in the clutches of our Heavenly Father. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises this morning to us. Thank you for what you make available to us, your wisdom that is available. You said you'll give it to us if we simply ask for it. God, we love you. And pray, God, that you would fill us with your wisdom, which in essence is to fill us with your spirit. And Lord, for us to be filled with your spirit, we must be emptied of ourselves, our selfish ambition, our bitter jealousy, all the emotions that are so petty and lead to evil and disorder. And Lord, there may be someone here today saying, you know, if I looked at my life, it's, it's pretty much in disorder right now. Father, I pray that you would draw men and women, boys and girls to yourself through your word today, through the invitation of Jesus who said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. 
Jesus said, all who come to me, I will turn no one away. Whoever comes to me, I will not turn them away. Lord, may we come to Jesus today. Father, we thank you for what you're doing and we give you praise in Jesus' name, amen.